Pages of Pim Better Podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Voyages of Tim Vetter Podcast. Man, I'm so excited to bring you my conversation with Jeff Eaton from Modern Life is War. Jeff's a singer, musician, skateboarder, DJ, uh, poet, Renaissance man. Uh, I've been listening to them since I was about 18, 19. And when I decided to do a podcast, Jeff was one of the first people who came to mind to have a conversation with. And so the fact that this actually came to fruition, is just, it's, I'm really, really, really excited about it. I think we had a really cool conversation. Um, uh, we get into sort of why they were important to me, and so I'm not going to get into that too much now. Um, but they, they were like the, the band for me as, you know, in my, it's still to this day, but in my late teens and in my early twenties, uh, I'm going to play a couple songs in this episode. Uh, I think that, I think as long as I comment on it, right. Provide commentary for the song, it's okay to post it. So, uh, you know, legal guardians of the podcast world, you could let me know if I'm wrong, but the first song I'm going to play is right after this introduction, I'm going to play these mad dogs of glory. I did want to mention if if you're not familiar with the band, obviously check out the show notes or you could go to modernlifeiswar.com um, or iTunes or whatever, wherever you want. I don't know how you consume your music, but um, I did want to mention like a, a song at least from the four full lengths. So f- that I believe you should check out. So from Midnight in, uh, Midnight in America, uh, These Mad Dogs of Glory. It, it's a Charles Bukowski poem, Beast Bounding Through Time, that I think Jeff just like masterfully turned into a punk song. And it's so cool. Um, from my, my Love, My Way, I really love the song Momentum. I think a lot of people probably like the first songs they think of are, are By the Sea and First and Ellen. And I love those too. But Modern Life is War's records, for me, they, as I've grown older and matured, I feel like the records and the content and the subject matter has has met me at that point in my life. I'm from, I was born on Long Island and that's where I started going to shows. And I think it was my friend Brian who said this, who's actually going to be on next week. But he made a comment about the band Brand New, who's like, you know, in terms of like major rock acts nowadays, like they were just, I think, first on the Billboard chart. Like they, probably the biggest band of our era to come out of Long Island. And he said, like, you know, starting from the small VFW scene, like, they, they've grown with their fan base. Um, and I think that's pretty accurate. But for me, like, Modern Life is War's records did that for me, like, matured with me as I matured. So uh, that long-winded way to say that uh, the song Momentum kind of, like, met me at that point of, like, adolescence into 20s, early adulthood, I mean, just the line, you know, I lie awake wondering why I'm an all or nothing kid and why I've been feeling like nothing all the time. I mean, come on, that that perfectly encapsulates that feeling of like, what is it, ennui of like, of uncertainty as you're exiting your youth into adulthood. Uh, Witness for me, that's like the, I think that's my favorite hardcore record. It's just perfect from top to bottom. Um... But the song Young Man Blues, even to this day, I'm not a young man anymore, and that song is just perfect to me. And then from the most recent record, I think that like the title track Fever Hunting is um, is my favorite song. So check out those four if you're like starting at zero. But chances are, if you you recognize the name and that's why you're listening to this podcast, like you know who the band is. So I'm just preaching to the choir, I guess. All right, 
Anything else to tell you? I don't know. Maybe we'll do this. Okay, so first of all, I've got new stickers coming. I got some cool new designs by, uh, by Raz again, so thank you to him. Um, but I will... I've done these contest types of things before. I'm really doing this off the cuff, folks, so I, had, I had, did not pre-script this. But if you... Let's do this. If you leave a star rating on iTunes or a comment on iTunes or like a like, I think that has a like system on SoundCloud and you screenshot that and you email it to me, this is what I'll do. I will, so yeah, so screenshot the, the like or the comment or the, the star rating. I think those work the best on iTunes. I think that gets the, when, when advertisers are looking, I think they're looking at iTunes and yeah. So anyway, screenshot that, send that to me, the voyages of Tim Vetter at gmail.com. And I'll kind of like, uh, for the people who do that, I'll like throw those names into a hat and I'll pick one person to send one of the LPs to in whatever format you want that, I guess. Like if the actual vinyl LP is still available, I'll send that to you. Um, if you want a CD, I guess I'll send that to you or, or MP3s, however you consume music. And I'll do one more of those for a t-shirt, either through the Death, Death, uh, Death Wish site or through Modern Life is War site. So one t-shirt and one record to people who want to leave me a positive review and, and send that to me. Okay, sweet. I think that's all the buildup I need. Um, enjoy this one, folks. I really, really loved it. Uh, and I, uh, I think you will too. Okay, peace.
So I think that right off the bat, probably what most people are going to want to know or are tuning into this episode to hear is what's going on with a new recording? Is a new record happening? I've seen you, you tease a little bit of information about it. Well, um, we're, we're still kind of working that out. Um, we, I, I guess I don't have a formal answer to that question, but I will say that we've been getting together, um, all of us in person, which, you know, at this point we live in, uh, in four different cities and three different States, like as a band. So logistically it is difficult for us to get together. So, um, this, I guess the fact that we've been, um, devoting several days and weekends, um, just to writing new music, um, outside of kind of like planning for shows or, you know, doing anything other than just writing songs, definitely, uh, is kind of the indication that we're, we are serious about doing any release. Um, we do have some recording dates booked at a studio in Iowa. It's called Flat Black Studios and it's, uh, it's outside of Iowa City. Um, the guy that we'll be working with there is a guy named Luke Tweedy and he's kind of an old, um, I don't want to say old Iowa. I don't mean to say he's an old guy, but he's an old Iowa seat guy. Uh, he's, you know, been around Iowa music for a long time. Uh, he, he's done a few recordings for William Elliott Whitmore, okay. who is probably our, our most known, um, Iowa export at this point. I think, um, he's put out a couple records on anti now. So, um, but we do know Will and, uh, obviously have a lot of respect for what he does and uh, also have a, a couple other personal connections to Luke, but I don't really know him uh, personally. So um, we wanted to do something different studio-wide and we kind of decided it would be fun to do something in Iowa if possible. And so we decided just to kind of give something a try. So we have, we have some dates booked with him in November um, but we don't have, there's nothing writing on that. There's not a release behind that. That's not pushing that. So okay. we're just going in and sort of funding it ourselves and going to record some of the new stuff that we've been working on. And, uh, other than that, we, we don't quite know yet, but I, I think you're going to see something from us next year. Like something will actually be released next year, but I, I don't quite want to say exactly what that'll be yet. Cause I don't really know. Okay. So you don't owe Death Wish a record? Would you be would you be shopping that recording around or putting that out yourselves, or would Death uh, would Death Wish be putting that out? That I guess we don't know either. I mean, we we just do. Uh, we've always just done one record deals with Death Wish. It's just totally straight up, like, hey, you got we're, we have stuff. You guys want to do a record, and you know they'll typically say yes, and then we'll we'll work it out. And I think you know the numbers, like the deal, is always the same, um, and so it's just. Uh, I think that's on the table, I guess I, I should say. Um, like if we want to do that, then I think they'll, they'll probably uh, work with us again because we've always had a pretty good working relationship. And, um, and I think our records, you know, at least break even for them. So, um, but we don't know that yet. Uh, I think once again, you know, we, in terms of that, we've kind of talked about doing something different. Um, I, I think the idea of putting it out ourselves has been tossed around. Um, I'm kind of, uh, I guess I really like that idea of putting something out ourselves. And I think that kind of in this day and age, it's, you know, it's pretty possible to do something on your own and still kind of get the word out that it's happening or that record came out and, you know, stuff like that. Just 
due to uh, social media and you know the living the playing fields relatively level these days you know you don't have to have a lot of money to put out a record and, and publicize it it's out so um, that idea is appealing to me but once again not something we've decided on in a concrete way yet okay in the like post witness buzz for the band were you ever um were you ever contacted by any like uh major labels or larger labels that were interested in you guys um no no well i i guess the one that i would say is is equal vision who we ended up doing a record with and you know they're uh they're definitely a bigger label um you know the biggest label that we worked with by far um but also, you know, kind of like in terms of our communication with them and the, the people that work there, it's just a lot of people with punk rock and hardcore backgrounds who, you know, go to shows and play in their own bands and stuff like that. So it didn't feel like we were working with a big label, but but we were working with a you know label that's a lot bigger than you know anyone else that we had worked with prior to that. Um, but I I, I want to say that they had one of their people had kind of like reached out to us maybe even before witness. Um, so that wasn't something that was like in the heat of the moment, you know, it was kind of like they had already expressed interest in us and said that, you know, if we were ever interested that, you know, we could reach out and stuff like that. So, um, but you know, I think, uh, one thing I'll say about that is I, the, the buzz about witness, I, I, gosh, I feel like it, it didn't even occur to us until like, like sort of like years after the fact. And it, it seemed like our, um, I don't know it was just sort of a different, cause that was 2005, 2006. And it just seemed like things moved a little slower then. And we didn't know that it was like, sort of like, I don't, I don't remember feeling like our album was like hot or, like you, you know what I mean? Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't really, I mean, we put it out. I think we were proud of it. We knew it was a little bit different than what was going on for the most part. And that some people were excited about it. And that like, in general, like our fans had kind of like adopted it and said like, yeah, this is great. Like we love what you guys have, you know, where you've gone next essentially. But beyond that, it, it didn't feel like it, it was going to, I guess, have the long term impact that it did. Um, that was something that we didn't even realize until like much later down the road. Yeah. I was going to ask Jeff, like, what about now? Cause I was going to ask like in the, let's say someone writes the, the punk and hardcore textbook for high school students, or there's like the, the punk and hardcore canon. Like, where do you see that release? Um, or just your band in general in, in fitting into like the history of this genre? I, I don't, I don't really know where it fits in. Um, I'll just say that if it, if it has a place in that like bigger picture, then that is very flattering. I, um, I would love for, you know, our band or for you know that album to be a part of, you know, the history of this music and like a, you know, in a notable way, I think that would be really amazing. But I, I think everyone who plays in a band um, or, you know, creates something they're serious about artistically wants to have like 
you know, that they want to have that mention when it, when, um, all is said and done, like that you did something that was notable. Um, and and it, you know, definitely certain people regard it as that at this point. Um, but I, I don't, I don't think it's something that's helpful for me to think about, you know, I, I don't have any control over it. Um, and I don't, it's, it's not going to help me in any way for me to regard it as like some sort of classic thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, other than it's like, just kind of like whether it is or it isn't, I can't do anything about it. Right. And if I develop some kind of ego about it, I don't really think that's going to help me. So I just, I, I just really just try to look forward in the future. I mean, I, I know that it does get talked about and that's once again, it's really flattering and, and really cool, but I, I don't know what to do about that. So, but you, you can see how, um, the sound kind of changed at that time. Like there were some bands that then started to, uh, again, I don't know if I can talk about this intelligently, but I'll, I'll attempt to, but, um, you know, sort of like, um, songs that weren't afraid to like, to go a little bit slower or even with my love, my way, I think, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think at least part of that was a reaction to all like the, like suicide imagery and things like that. And that was a, like a very like pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, and let's get through it type of a record, at least lyrically. Um, so can, is, is it fair to say that you at least see like how you influenced, uh, like newer, younger up and coming bands at the time? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I definitely recognize that we've had a, we've had an influence on the direction of things. Okay. Um, yeah, I definitely, I definitely see that. And I, I've always, you know, been, I mean, I think that's, you know, in a lot of ways, it's one of the ultimate compliments is when someone takes you, um, as someone to follow or, you know, someone to be influenced by, you know, I mean, we all have access to sort of the history of music at this point. So if someone has access to everything and one of their, you know, primary influences is something that you did, I mean, that's just unbelievable. That's, you know, it's an incredible compliment. Um, so, you know, I, I do sometimes, you know, if I was being critical, I I would say, well, like I could really point out bands, you know, that came around many years before us that had a lot of elements of the styles and things that we did, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't, we weren't the first to do what we did, you know, we're the first to do it in our, the way that we did it. Sure. And of course that's what matters. You know, it's like, yeah. that's, and it's, everything's based on a time and a place, you know, who, who are these, these young kids who started these bands who were influenced by us? And when, when did they hear us or what, what was the show that they saw us play that changed something for them, you know, and it's all, it's all situational and, and based on a time and a place. Um, you know, I, I, hesitate to say that we were like this completely original thing because I, I just sometimes don't think that completely exists. You know, everything, everything comes from something and, and we definitely had our influences and, and things that um, came into the picture for us uh, because of things that other people did, you know? So um, I guess more than anything, it's just don't, don't get an ego about that because I don't, I don't know that it, once again, I don't think it's helpful. For, yeah. for me or anyone else really. So I think that's a healthy way to look at it. Um, I was, it's funny, I guess like in a, in a fit of OCD when I was younger, like I used to keep a list of, of shows that I went to 
and even like uh, flyers and things like that. And so I was going back through some of that stuff uh, in preparation to, to talk to you today. And I was thinking that Witness came out when I was 19 years old. And I think your first Long Island show was at this place in Farmingville called TGIF. And I think that, I think around that time you were in your mid 20s. And I think if, how can I word this? So I was an idiot when I was 19. <laughs> like I was an idiot as a teenager. And luckily, this is kind of pre-social media and nothing that I would have said or did would have been documented. Uh, and not to call you an idiot, but I wonder, people change, right? And you guys have been a band f for such a long time at this point. Are there any songs that you've written that, that you look back on and you're like, I, I just don't feel that way anymore? Or like, ugh, like I wouldn't want to play this, play this live. I'm in a different headspace. Do you look back on anything from, from your younger years of writing in the band that, that you're dissatisfied with at all? Not really. As far as our our records and our recorded output, not really. I I mean, when you say when you say you know you were an idiot when you were nineteen, well, yeah, of course I was too. Right, right. And I, I think you know I, there, who, who's an exception to that? You know, everyone kind of everyone kind of feels that way. Yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely say just from listening to a few of your podcasts, like. You know, if you're the person you are now, you, you weren't an idiot when you were 19. I mean, you were a 19 year old who had a lot to learn and a lot to figure out. But, you know, you, you've become an intelligent person. So, you know, th there were elements of, there, there's always been that part of you. And it was just probably shrouded by, you know, inexperience and hormones and a lot of different things. So, you know, th there's that, you know, and I, and I think that. I'm, I'm the same person that I've always been to a large degree. Um, I will say that listening to, uh, an interview from, you know, almost any time in my past would probably make me want to crawl into a hole and die. And that's, <laughs> that, that's probably the, the case for this interview, you know, tomorrow or a week from now. Like I, I won't ever listen to it because I just won't be able to listen to myself. Um, but as far as our songs and my lyrics, I, I kind of, I don't know. I think in some way I was kind of smart with that stuff in terms of saying things that I still in general stick by, or I feel, or I feel okay with, you know, putting those words out there in that way at that time in my life and sort of like, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I have to live up to them or stand by every word or everything I ever said, but there have been times where I've read through those lyrics. I, I haven't done it very many times, but mm. there's been a few times. Um, and I'm, I guess I stand by a lot of it and I, I still feel the same in a lot of ways, uh, which I'm, I'm grateful for. Um, it is a part of my life that, I would like to, I wish I had the option of um, kind of like putting it in a box and choosing like who has access to that, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Like if I'm working a job, I would prefer that no one who works there knows anything about me playing in a band. Um, definitely there have been 
times and instances where it's been difficult for like my family members to have access to those lyrics, like almost more than anyone else. Um, so I do sometimes wish that I could like be the guy from modern life is war when I choose to be and not when I would rather not deal with that because, you know, you're essentially just putting a lot of personal, a lot of your personal emotions out there for anyone to kind of like grab and look into like anytime they feel like it. Yeah. And that's sort of a strange thing. You know, I, I think a lot of people who, um, create any kind of art probably feel like that. You know, I don't think that's, I don't think that that's a emotion that's unique to me necessarily, but I do, I do feel like that a lot. Yeah. I want to expand on that for a second. Uh, but first, uh, cheers for the compliment. I appreciate that. And I totally understand too. Like, I'll listen to each of these episodes once just to make sure that there's no problems with it. And then I can't listen yeah. to it again. I, I, <laughs> I can't hear myself. It's, it's, it's difficult, but yeah. you had posted something recently. I think again, if, if I'm, if I'm prying too much or getting too dark here, just, just cut me off. But you had posted something recently alluding to the fact, at least as I interpreted it, that people might see you in a certain light because uh, because you're in a band, like, hey, you're the band guy, like, that must be, that must be so great, you get to tour, you get to do all these exciting things, you get to have fun, but that, like, hey, that's just one aspect of my life, sort of like you were talking about, and, and I'm, you know, I'm a, a person with troubles and um, emotions and feelings and things like that. Uh, do you ever feel like there's at least a misconception, like, hey, this guy must have, like, such a great time all the time because he's the band guy? Um... Well, I guess I'm, I'm kind of wondering or trying to think about what maybe was the specific thing that I said that you were referring to. Um, I mean, I guess there's two sides to that because a everyone everyone sort of at rock and roll as this cliche, and as much as I think in a lot of ways we do defy a lot of those cliches, we also fall victim to many of them. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like, yeah, not, you're not trying to be like glam rock band or something like that. You know, you don't dress like that. You don't present yourself like that. Your concert doesn't have a laser light show. It's not <laughs> that thing, but you're also at the same time, you're getting on a stage with like a tremendous amount of confidence and you're, putting on a performance and entertaining people, you know, with like loud guitar music. And then you're getting off the stage and I don't know, people are like wanting to talk to you because you just did that. Yeah. So it's always the cliche, you know, you can fight it, but there is always an element of like performing music that is just a, you know, it's just kind of going to be a rock star thing in this weird way. Like no matter what you do, it might be local, it might be, you know, national or international, but, you know, when you're performing and entertaining people, you're an entertainer and that's, that's what you are. Um, our genre of music tries to break down that system, I think, to like its best ability. But then again, you know, the, the bands who do it sort of the best are people really old, their sound or, or their message or both you know, those people are going to become like sort of notable 
weird quasi celebrities, even if you don't present that and that was never your intention or goal and you don't do any, and you don't do anything, you know, specific to kind of like push that mystique, you know, if, even if you just, you kind of eliminate it, you know, um, now, you know, with me, definitely, like, I think that, you know, my lyrics for the most part kind of like point to, um, struggling personally or struggling emotionally or intellectually with a lot of different things. So, uh, I, I guess it kind of depends how deep someone looks into it. You know, it's like on one hand, someone could just see us play live, like a big festival and, and take it as like one type of thing. But then if you just sat down like alone in your apartment with my lyrics, you might come away with like just totally, totally depression, I guess. Yeah. Answering the question, I might just be, uh, might just be going around it. No, no. I think that, I mean, that makes sense to me. And to that point, you had done and asked me anything for Reddit. And I saw in a lot of the comments that people were writing about how they've connected with your lyrics or how like those lyrics have helped people through a, a tough or dark time. Like, what does that feel like? It, do people email you? Have people reached out to you in the past? I'm sure like that's not what the intention was in writing a song, but, but how does that feel when somebody reaches out to you from somewhere else in the country or in the world and is like, Hey, your words got me through like a really difficult situation in life. Yeah, I've, um, I've got that consistently for just years now. And it, you know, I, with the activity of the band going up and down a little bit, it, it varies, but I've, I've literally, you know, since, since it started, it's just not stopped. You know I mean? I still have people, um, you know, talk to me about the way that my lyrics have affected them. My, well, first of all, I always appreciate it to hear those, those things from people. I, I don't, I don't want to have like a stock response that I always say to people, but one of the things that I do typically say to people when they, when they tell me those kind of things is like, is that, um, I understand because I have my own people like that, you know, basically just saying like, Hey, you're like, you know, you're looking at me like this and I look at, you know, these people like this. And if I were talking to them, I'd be saying the same types of things to them as you're saying to me. And that's not a way of like discounting their feelings. It's just saying like, Hey, we're all, we're all part of like a process. And that's sort of how it works. You know, like, um, the people who, the the people who feel like that about my lyrics have really given me credibility in a way. And they've actually like improved my life because they've, basically, um, you know, they've basically legitimized like my feelings. Yeah. Um, they've made, they've made the band successful and that's, and that's also helped my life, you know, where I've gotten the opportunity to travel to places I might never have, you know, been able to go to, um, or been able to record, you know, new songs, uh, and having like, you know, the money and the resources and the connections to do that or, or, or whatever it may be. Um, but you know, for me personally, it's like, Hey, when you like, when you tell me that, like it does 
make me feel like, you know, less alone in, in the way I feel. Like it's someone else going, Hey man, like I, I know how you feel. And like, you know, maybe they want to talk about it a little bit or whatever, but like, I definitely have, I mean, I'm a, I'm a lyric person for sure. Like I have, you know, I have lyrics tattooed on me. I have lyrics pinned on my wall. Like I have a million songs memorized that I could, you know, recite at the drop of a hat. You know, I have my favorite verses and my favorite choruses and, you know, from all the genres of music. And I've always just been very drawn to lyrics. Um, and so like, you know, when people are essentially like nerding out about lyrics to me, I'm like, Hey, I totally understand where you're coming from on that. So that's a perfect segue to, to something I want to ask. And I'm going to make this a little more upbeat now, but, um, I think that your lyrics are re- like your lyrics are really what sets the band apart from other bands within the genre. I mean, at least in my opinion, especially, especially, I guess like at the time that maybe witness first came out, um, you draw influences in your lyrics from, uh, from graphic novels, movies, other musicians and songs, um, uh, regular literature. And first of all, I, th- I think that's, that's really, really cool. And I agree with you that like the bands I've always connected with, you know, there's always bands that like this, the sound makes you feel something. Um, especially when you're young, it's a Friday night. You just want to be around like other people listening to loud music and going wild and feeling free. But I think that the bands, at least for me now, uh, this is scary, but I'm in my thirties and the bands that have like held up and had longevity for me are are the bands that have good lyrics. Um, so there's a bunch of things I want to ask you about that. Uh, the first is that I think some of, some of the songs you've written could stand alone almost as like a singer songwriter type of thing. Like as even like a, like a stagger Lee, like I could see just a guy with an acoustic guitar, like playing those lyrics. Have you ever thought about like a solo project or something else that you're using your lyrics for a different sound or a different genre of music? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, uh, I mean, it kind of caught me at a point in my life where I'm like really committed to doing, um, I guess sort of just taking on the next thing that I want to take on. I mean, um, I definitely look at, you know, modern life as war as, you know, as a start in a lot of ways to me, even though I, I did a couple other like, you know, less serious bands when I was younger and I've always kind of been interested in writing and different things. But, um, you know, Modern Life is War was kind of like a big, obviously, event in my life um, that is that is ongoing. Um, the other thing that, you know, I did, I, or I've done with like the last seven years of my life is I, I started DJing seven years ago. And um, that's been a big part of my life. Um, that, to me, was just, you know, an outlet of just kind of showing, like, other music that I loved and also sort of having a personal experience with music that didn't really involve like the anger and like politics of the punk and hardcore scene. 
um, you know, to, to be able to like take a box of soul records out and go have a party somewhere. It's just a, t such a different experience with music than like, you know, singing in a hardcore band. So, um, and, and I've taken DJing like very seriously. I know it's kind of like a, sort of like a cliche almost at this point that like a singer of a band will then like become a DJ, you know, but like, I guess, um, it was something that I knew I wanted to do for like, um, almost a solid decade before I actually did it. <laughs> and uh, a lot of that was just sort of logistics. Like I couldn't, um, I couldn't buy the gear and I wasn't in one place for long enough to like, to do it because of touring and uh you know i didn't have the money for records and like that kind of stuff so the, it was a it was a project that i knew i wanted to do for most of throughout most of modern life is war and that like when the band uh sort of started winding down i was able to um eventually make that happen and so i've spent the last you know seven years um djing like very seriously and very regularly here uh here in iowa and uh, I've had a lot of success with it. Um, I think that I'm at a point with it now where it's not really like creatively satisfying me um, enough or it's, it's, it's something that I kind of feel like I've done to some extent. Like not that I want to quit, but um, just sort of like Modern Life is War is right now, it's something that I do and I'm going to continue to do, but it's not like my it's not going to take all of my energy and all of my effort and all of my time. Um, just cause it, it's kind of like, it just doesn't occupy that place in my life anymore. Okay. Um, you know, like the band is, the band is not, um, touring full time and that's not like in the cards for us. So, you know, most, most days of the year, most days of my life, like do not involve modern life is war. Um, and that's just like, that's the place that that occupies my life now. So I definitely, I'm at a point like very specifically like right now that I, I want to do something different. Um, and I have kind of been like putting a lot of pieces of that together lately. Like I had a full-time job for the last like two years and two months. And my last day of the job was uh, last Friday. Oh wow. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm free from that at this point. Um, I just rented out a, a like personal, uh, I guess, practice space or studio space, uh, for the first time ever in my life, uh, actually just having like a studio space of my own. Um, and I've been sort of collecting like gear and kind of like developing ideas for like what I want to work on. Um, so I do want to, I do want to create some music. Um, and I also do want to publish some writing, sort of like on its own. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Yeah, um, I mean, both, you know, so basically um, I'm starting to work in earnest, like on a daily basis on, on both of those things, like oh. creating music and, and writing um, in a more serious manner. Um, they're both things that are completely horrifying <laughs> for me to like, to approach. Um, and they're both like wildly out of my comfort zone, but also things that I've thought about and been compelled to do for so long. And they're just not sort of like going away. 
so I, you know, uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's, I, I almost feel like it's not really like a choice that I'm making. It's just sort of like, yeah, this is what, this is what you need to do and you can put it off and you can avoid it, but eventually that's what you'll be doing. So you might as well just sort of get to work. And so that's where I'm, that's where I'm at with that stuff now. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I mean, my, my real goal for my life is just to, you know, make a, make a living through music and, and writing and, you know, speaking and poetry and spinning records and playing with a band or doing music on my own. Like that's my, that's my world. Those are the things that I love the most and the things I, in, in a lot of ways, if I, um, if I do anything else with my time, I feel like it won't be worth as much as spending my time on those things. So I, I finally kind of like just got to a breaking point where I, I knew I had to like totally make the leap to, to just like spending all my time doing that and having, uh, I'm definitely having a like crisis about it in a lot of ways. Cause I think I'm just scared, you know, but I, uh, I'm committing myself just to working on that every day and trying to have faith that like everything will kind of like turn out. Okay. If I, if I do the work, then everything else will fall into place. Um, not always enough of an optimist to believe that. So I'm kind of having a constant like internal struggle about, you know, telling myself what I need to do and why I need to do it. And then like freaking out about it <laughs> and then talking myself back into it and just going through that basically all the time these days. So have you ever read a book called the war of art? Not the art of, not the Sun Tzu one, but the, the war of art, uh, by yeah, yeah, Pressfield. I love it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I think that that sort of points to that, right? Like that resistance and overcoming that fear. And I, I talk about that all the time on this podcast, just like, um, the change is so scary and just like taking that first leap of faith is really tough. Yeah. I've, I've, I think I've read it twice through. Um, and I, I've actually been thinking about like how I need to read it again now that like I'm in this spot. Like I've been, I've been sort of preparing, uh, different things in my life, sort of like saving money and like renting the studio and stuff like that. Um, for the last, I don't know, like I've been planning stuff for the last like year or two, wow. essentially to like get myself to where I am today. Um, just like in a spot where I have like a little bit of space and time to, to do things that I want to do. Um, but that book's like, obviously, I mean, I think most creative types would find that book pretty hard to deny yeah. the, the way that he conceptualizes basically procrastination and fear and, you know, puts it into these certain terms that are easily understandable. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those obvious things where it's kind of like you read it and you're like, I already knew this, yeah, yeah. but, <laughs> but this guy's putting it into, and I think that's, that's what song lyrics are a lot too. It, it's someone, someone, um, putting something into words that you feel. And then when you hear the words, you, you have this, you know, visceral reaction to it because you're, you're like, that's how I feel. Like, I just, you know, I couldn't verbalize it. Yeah. I haven't verbalized it yet. And I think that, you know, in a much more like, I guess, pragmatic sense, that book is kind of like that. Like when I read it, I was like, wow, yeah, this is like, a you know, I don't know anything about this guy, but this is like a hundred percent correct. Yeah. Everything he's saying, you know? So when you say that you are 
uh, you know, at least planning or, or, or sitting down to write. What is that writing? Is it like free form? Are you, are you thinking of writing a novel one day? Pretty free form right now. I think I'm drawn to poetry. Okay. Um, it's the most similar to song lyrics. And since I, you know, sort of have that like little vote of confidence that I can write song lyrics, that poetry seems like accessible in that way. Um, I've written some short stories, I guess, and I've written some essays. I, the idea of a novel to me at this point is still just like so daunting that I, I just can't really think about that. Sure. Um, but in terms of, uh, writing short stories, writing essays, um, that's in my thoughts a lot. I've worked on that. I have some things, you know, I guess completed. I don't, I don't necessarily know that I'm happy enough with them to do anything with them, but, um, poetry is pretty regular for me. Like I don't, not saying that I write or like complete poems every day, but like definitely like, you know, I've written hundreds like this year or whatever. Um, and I am happy with some of them. It's, it's hard. I just think the, the process is difficult because, you know, with a band, you, you have a song and there must be words injected into that song. And then at some point you're going into the studio and that's your hard deadline, <laughs> you know? Right. And so that's kind of like, this is happening. You're writing words to this and they will eventually, you know, be on a record and printed in the liner notes. So that's happening, you know, and there's no real way for me to put the brakes on that. If I've sort of committed to being part of the band, that's, that's my job within the band. Um, and I think the thing with writing on my own is just that the confidence is the main thing, but then it's also the discipline to say like, Hey, you need to produce some kind of results here. So, you know, put a collection together of things that you are willing to put your name on and, and put them into the world. But that's thus far, I haven't been able to do, I mean, I've been, I guess, thinking about this and talking about it for a lot of years now, and I haven't been able to do that yet. Um, but again, coming back to where I'm at today, that I've, I've made a lot of resolutions and, uh, planned a lot and made a lot of sacrifices in my life to say like, okay, you know, no, no more bullshit basically. Um, or I'll say no more BS uh, on behalf of your students. I don't think I've <laughs> been too bad. At, I don't think I've been too bad about swearing yet. Have I? No, it's all good, man. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. uh, I have one more thought and, and question about your lyrics and that's, um, maybe this is a cheesy analogy, but, uh, like when a, when a superhero movie comes out, like a Marvel movie, uh, they infuse like all these, uh, like quote unquote Easter eggs within the movie. And like, then people make these YouTube videos, like here are all the Easter eggs and the things that were hidden within the movie. And like, for me at least, at least when I was younger and reading the lyrics, like there were all these, these references again to, to books and to movies and, and even things that you didn't outwardly express. So like, um, I feel the loneliness of the long distance runner. And then it's like, I'm looking at those lyrics when I'm younger. I'm like, oh, whoa, that's like, that's the title of a book. Let me go check that out. Um, and so again, I mentioned some of the influences from graphic novel skin to, 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 to Rumblefish. in, in 2017, aside from Jeff's 
everyday life and, and personal experiences. Um, what what are you drawing inspiration from in terms of your writing or your music that that's coming from other mediums, like specific uh, novels or, or, or movies or things like that? Um, let me think here. Uh, I guess. No, I mean, I feel like I consume like a lot of a lot of music, a lot of things. Um, you know, certain things have stuck out. I think that I've had a pretty, you know, close to an obsession with Patti Smith okay. <laughs> over the last few years. Uh, that's not necessarily like a super current, you know, reference, obviously. Um, but yeah, definitely, uh, I've like I've always known of her known of her recordings and, you know, sort of understanding in a general sense, what place that she holds in our culture. Everyone kind of has some conception of like, you know, what, what she is. Um, if you're a fan of rock and roll music, at least. Um, but I, I don't know something about her music and, and her books in the last few years have really like, got under my skin to the point where she's like definitely like one of my major heroes. Um, and so she's definitely one. Um, just trying to like, just trying to think of other things. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's obviously like pretty loaded of a question, but I I would just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I, I guess I, um, I, I do, always like sort of to some extent like publicize what I'm listening to or yeah. like what I'm currently into, you know? And that's, um, I, I don't always look at it like, okay, this is where I'm going to reference this in my lyrics, you know, but you know, just using Patty Smith as an example. I mean, I think, you know, really the most notable thing about her is that she didn't set out to like play rock and roll. She would, out to be a poet and it just sort of like things lined up to where she was like going to do a performance with this guy playing guitar you know and uh she carried that like spoken word poetic style with her through her whole career and i think that's probably her greatest like contribution is just coming at it from that different angle and doing that so you know i, I mean i could definitely say like that's something that like I would love to do in a modern life is war song is just like, you know, speak, I guess the, and, and I think to some extent, you know, I've, I've done that in a weird way. You know, you take a, you know, a song like, yeah, like Marshalltown or Staggerly. Well, it's, you know, I mean, essentially I'm just speaking. I'm, you know, the tone of my voice aside, like the tempo of it and like the, the clarity of my voice is, you know, definitely not necessarily typical for like punk music. So I've kind of already expressed that, but that's, that's something that is, is growing in my, like, you know, something that I desire to do. You know, I think that, I think that it can definitely be uh, corny, but I think when, when done well, you know, sort of like the merging of like spoken word poetry and music is a really incredible thing. Oh yeah. So, Very cool. Um, yeah. All right. I've got a couple. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. No, so, go ahead, man. I've got some like, um, maybe kind of cheesy questions. These are, I guess some quick hit questions, but, um, 
this will be a bit of a, a longer way to state it, but um, so your 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 dad influenced one of your songs. Um, he's the the motorcycle boy, right? And that's also a reference to Rumblefish. But I, <laughs> when that record came out, so my dad rides a Harley, and like immediately I was like, Dad, like this is a song about you. Um, you know, my dad was kind of my hero, or is kind of my hero. He um, worked his butt off when I was a kid, worked nights loading trucks. Like, he bought a house where the basement had been burned out and, and rebuilt that. Um, and uh, so I saw a lot of connections between, like, the always doing the right thing and, and, and looking out for me. And, and, yeah. and, and he rides a bike, too, which I just think is super cool. Uh, can you ride a bike? Like, did he teach you? Do you have any interest in that? Well, you know, I don't have a motorcycle. Um, my, my, well, my dad was really into racing motorcycles when he was younger. Whoa. And so my, my grandpa kind of got into it and he opened a, a motorcycle shop. And so when I was really young, that was kind of like my babysitter was just going to the motorcycle shop. So oh, my, awesome. my dad worked there my uncle worked there and my grandpa owned the place. And so I learned to ride like a, you know, a little 50 cc dirt bike when i was you know tiny kid i don't know really i don't know, I don't know five you know four years old whatever i was riding <laughs> on dirt bikes so i can i can ride a motorcycle like i know how um but it never like it just never like became part of my life i'd never owned my own motorcycle um i think it's something that you know, I was, I, I just never had any money when I was younger. Yeah. And I think like by the time that that would have been like financially possible for me, I was almost like, didn't have that desire for it anymore. Like a lot of my friends who ride motorcycles, well, I say just about all my friends who ride motorcycles have like been involved in some sort of accident. And I'm, I'm not necessarily like a daredevil or like a major risk taker, you know? And so I'm kind of like <laughs> imagining like going down on a motorcycle is, is horrifying. That's scary. Um, so I, I think, yeah, once, once it became like a possibility for me to like do that, I, I think I was already almost like over the, uh, assuming the risk of it. Um, not to say that it's not something I could surprise myself and do at some point in my life, but I've, I've never really been a motorcycle guy. Okay. Um, all right. So these are kind of like first thing that comes to mind. One song, first thing that pops into your head, best song to skate to. Well, I have a, I have a record right now that I skate to. Okay. What's that record? Uh, yeah. Um, it, it's a, it's a relatively new record. It's, uh, name of the band is GG King, like letter G, letter G King. K-A-N-G. Um, the record's called Unending Darkness. Oh, it's a really weird, sort of like, just hybrid, like, thrash metal punk record that is just super unconventional in the way that it sounds and the way it's all put together. Um, I think it's like, it's one of my favorite things in the last several years, and I don't know that I don't know anyone else who listens to it. I don't think it's really become like a sort of like, I think it's sort of just like a local thing. It's in Atlanta. Um, that's where the label's based and where the band's based. Um, but I, I don't, it's kind of weird. I don't know like almost anything about the band. I don't think they really tour. And it's, I haven't seen it on any like 
larger like media or publications or anything like that. But that's like a band that I'm really into right now. So that's that's what I probably have listened to most skating this year. Okay. So you post a lot of records that you get and you use when you're DJing. And I love seeing that. Uh, top two records that come to mind that you don't already own, that you want to own on vinyl uh, for your DJing gigs? Hmm. I'm such a glutton. I, I buy like every, well, I, I, you know, I make money DJing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, you know, spending money on DJ records is like, I just go off the deep end all the time on that. <laughs> so I, I buy like everything that I want to DJ. I, I, I know there's probably records on my want list that I don't have. Um, but I don't know if I'll be able to recall any right now. Okay. Um, yeah, some of these some of these might be ridiculous, but uh, I find them kind of, I find them kind of interesting. Um, on that same kind of trend, let's say um, you get one song to DJ to get people moving to start out a set. What is the first song that comes to mind? Let's see here. Um... Well, I have a, I have a rhythm and blues record that I've basically like played, you know, throughout, you know, from my first DJ gig to like, you know, my most current one. And I almost never, it's almost never not in the box. And that's, uh, Charles Sheffield is the name in the, in the records called it's your voodoo working. And it's just like a really, I don't know, just like a really powerful rhythm and blues record. Um, it's very lyrically, very simple, but very effective. And, uh, just something about the, the, the nature of the rhythm and the tempo of it to me is just very moving. Um, I think it, I think it really like sets an atmosphere. Um, you know, for me, it makes me want to like, definitely like drink alcohol and dance and stay up late. <laughs> so awesome. that's sort of a lot of times the, uh, the vibe that you're trying to put out as a DJ is that, you know, you're, you're in the, you're in the right spot tonight and, and we're going to do, we're going to do all the right things. So I, I think that would be my record for that. Cool. So I mentioned that I had like a list of shows. Like I, I used to keep this meticulous list of, uh, shows that I went to like specifically for the bands that I really liked. And you are the singer in a band that I really liked. So, I want to ask you what your favorite New York City venue was, and I'm just going to read you back some of these shows in case you've forgotten some of the places you've played. Uh, so I did grow up on Long Island, but I did not include Long Island venues. So okay. um, I'll start with, so Croutons, House of God with Dustheads, CBGBs with Strike Anywhere, Knitting Factory with Blacklisted, 538 Johnson with Die Young, Europa, uh, with Death Before Dishonor. I don't remember that. Um, I remember their Europa show, though, because you brought out Brooks Strauss. Uh, Knitting Factory with He's Legend, Knitting Factory with The Explosion, The Charleston, which is that basement that used to give away free pizzas, with Hellhole, and then Knitting Factory with Celebrity Murders. Uh, so not necessarily the show, but which one of those was your favorite place to play? I mean, yeah, that hearing that list is 
insane because we we have more we've just had more good shows in new york than anywhere in the world just like hands down i mean it's just unreal i think that croutons is like a really important little time in history for us because we were uh, we were a young band at that time because we played there. We played there gosh, a few times. Yeah, I think you uh, played twice, three times maybe or four times. Oh wow, okay. Um, and that, I could be wrong about that. I'm, I definitely have some friends who could verify the exact number, but yeah, at least you know definitely more than once. But um, you know, I think always for us being in you know New York City, it's always going to be like an iconic place. So much of you know, the things we love came from there and it'll always be a little bit exotic to me and a little bit exciting. This some, you know, the, the feeling of being in New York is always going to be an exciting thing for me. And, you know, whether that's corny or not. Um, but when we were doing those shows, it was like, we were really developing these close personal friendships with the people who lived there and the people who were, you know, booking the shows and like playing in the other bands and, uh, allowing us to sleep like on their bedroom floor. And, uh, you know, like Max, Crystal, Tyler, Tim, like all those people are, are still in my life. Um, so I think it was just a, that was a perfect, uh, a perfect, meeting of like being in this, you know, big city that you're excited to be in, you know, in any regard. And then also being able to play music there, having people care that you were playing music there. And then also having like the type of close personal connection, um, to sort of like the business of playing music that we did back home. And it, it very much felt like how a show would operate in our hometown when we were growing up and playing in our high school bands. And so it was just like, I think I'll always remember that venue and that time as just being kind of like, you know, sort of like sort of magical for me, you know, like I, it was kind of like essentially what I had always imagined, you know, like if I was, you know, back home and I was 16 years old or 17 years old. And I was kind of like dreaming about something. Like, I think that was kind of like essentially what I was dreaming about is like playing those kind of shows with those kind of people in that kind of a venue. And it just being like that feeling of that feeling of total freedom. Um, definitely the feeling of the, the underground being like a very real thing. Like, this is not a real venue. Like we're violating the fire code. <laughs> like, you know, there's people have like built their own bedrooms. Um, you know, it, it was just a, you know, just complete, like it, it, it was defying all the, you know, all the conventions of like the music industry and the, like the way people are supposed to live and the way we're supposed to communicate and, and definitely the way that entertainment is supposed to work. You know, it's like, we are kind of like, you know, just sort of giving the middle finger to everyone and everything and having a lot of fun doing it and like experiencing a lot of like, uh, a lot of like joy and trust and kindness in the way that we are interacting with all those people. And that's maybe looking at it in a <laughs> definitely more of a, uh, 
I'm, I'm looking at it more in like a symbolic way than a lot of people would, but yeah, you know, I think I felt that way to some extent at the time, and I I, I still feel that way. Um, I I know that five thirty eight show that five thirty eight show for some reason was just so wild, <laughs> like physically that was just one of the craziest shows we played. Um, people were hanging from the pipes. Their, <laughs> yeah, people were just losing their minds. You know, yeah. like I, I I think it that was kind of. You know, that was, it felt even at the, at the time that we were playing the show, it felt like one of those mythological, like punk rock legends that you hear about. Yeah. And I, and I don't know why that place and that night was like that, but I think it was. And I think most people who were there, whether they're a massive fan of our band to this day or not, would probably say, yeah, there was something about that night that was like really special. Uh, so I think that those two venues definitely stand out with croutons being at the top of the list. Um, but also, you know, playing at CVs for the first time, you know, what a trip, like unreal. Just, I, I don't know. I, and then I know we put there a few times too. I, I should know exactly how many times we played CVs, but I don't. I think the but first one was on that tour with Bain, right? That came through Long Island also. Yeah. I mean, I think we did, <laughs> I think we did it three times. I think we did it with Kill Your Idols. Okay. I think we did it with uh, Strike Anywhere, and we did it with Bane. Okay. So I think it was three times, unless I'm forgetting one. But those three definitely went down. Um, but yeah, I mean that you know that venue. Wow, like uh, just the uh, <laughs> yeah the that place had an authenticity to it that was not manufactured you know i mean it was just it was that fucking venue that was that real and that it was that place um and it held that part of our culture in this super real way i still can't believe that they tore that place up it's just it's unbelievable you know that it's not still there it's just insane but you know nothing is going to last forever and i guess we gotta accept that but it, it seems crazy to me to this day that, that they did end up tearing it up. Um, the thing that I always talk about when CBGB's comes up is the floor of the venue, <laughs> like in front of the stage, like all the wood was warped and like worn in and like worn smooth. And then there were like holes in the floor in different spots that they had patched over with like, um, six slabs of like, you know, steel and had riveted into the floor. And then those metal plates had been like smoothed over and become like, even with the wood, like around the edge. You know what I mean? Like, it was like, it was like, it was like you were standing on the, the ground of like a pirate ship from the 1500s (laughs) or something, you know, you just, you couldn't believe how worn in that building was. And I know that, that that floor was obviously probably not installed like for that venue. I mean, it was probably many different things throughout many different decades. I don't know. I haven't researched like the history of the building, but I, I, I do just remember the the physical qualities of that building were so sort of like impressive and just the way they were worn in. It was a very, it was a very authentic space. And I, I think for that reason that, it sounded great. It felt great to be in there. And then there's also the the fact that you're thinking about all the legendary performances that happened on that stage 
as you're stepping onto the stage, like, you know, I, I was definitely kind of thinking about videos I had watched and like bands that I knew had played there that I never got to see and people who were on that stage who are now dead and, uh, who, whose lyrics I, you know, I have like committed to my heart forever, you know? And, and so, yeah, I, I think in a lot of cities I might be able to answer you, Oh, this is my favorite place. and This is my favorite show. But yeah. in that city, it's just a lot more difficult. I mean, all those, all those things that we did there seemed so special at the time and, and still do. Well, I think this is why you you are a master with words. You, you, I think you encapsulated each of those places pretty perfectly. Uh, totally get what you're saying with croutons. I think so. I, I went. I saw you guys play there once. It was always it was like the it was always like the after show. So again, if if my list here is correct, I think that night was after you played Long Island uh, at a place called Ritual, which I, I don't remember that place at all, but I have it written down. Um, and, but I do remember the, like, it's still like the internet's going now, but like the, the show at Croutons isn't listed on the internet. So you have to call someone who calls someone who calls someone. It's like, Oh, like this is the address of the place that we're going. Like it's, it's a, it's at least, I forget where that was. I know five, three, eight Johnson was like a, a loft in Bushwick, but just like you said, like it's a place that's parceled out into like makeshift apartment rooms and things like that. Um, and it did have like a very, maybe this is cheesy, but like a very like lost boys, type of a feel like like this is something you know that is ours and we don't have a whole lot of things in our lives that belong to us um and so yeah like it that was like a really special magical thing and and i'm really like i'm i'm grateful that i did get to see you guys play at those two places 538 johnson like you said was insane people can go on youtube and see videos of that show through like super super blurry for some reason but you can see people just like flying out of nowhere, falling off the ceiling and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I think you touched on those perfectly. I had, um, I had one more question and then I wanted to, to close with something. Uh, the final thing that I had thought to ask you about was that, um, at least your early records, I guess to an extent your most recent record, but it feels a little bit different in the sense that like Midnight in America and uh, Witness felt like they were written to a particular setting, and that setting is Marshalltown or, you know, the Midwest. And although there are common themes for people growing up anywhere, um, it kind of, like, let people know about that area. You know, when you think about punk and hardcore, you think, like, New York City, you think Boston, you don't think, you know, the cornfields of the Midwest. Um, I'm wondering about your relationship to Marshalltown now, and if you think that people got the correct perception of it, because at least my perception is, while there were certain limitations to growing up there, and certain like, uh, maybe even like boredoms, or like a longingness to be somewhere else, I didn't see it as completely negative in your song. So I'm wondering what your relationship with Marshalltown is now, and if you think that people got the right perception of it through your words. Yeah, I think that I, I have had people um, come away with the impression that I had all these, you know, mostly negative emotions about it. Um, I think you're, I mean, you basically kind of got it right where you're like, oh yeah, overall, you know, there's a, 
I, I think it's, there's a closeness there that's sort of like, you know, your family, you know, where it's like, you know, how much do you see eye to eye with your brother? How much do you fight with him? How much does he piss you off? And how annoyed were you with him growing up? And how often do you talk on the phone nowadays? Like, all right, well, you know, there's a lot of varying levels to that. And I, I, I think that's kind of how my relationship with my, you know, my hometown is just kind of like, it's a little conflicted, but in the end, like that's my hometown and I love it. Um, and I'm like proud to have come from there. And I am like really thankful for just sort of like the experiences that it, it forced me to have. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that, I guess, yeah, I mean, thinking about growing up there and thinking about it now are, I guess, a little bit two different things. I know that's sort of like part of your question. But, yeah, overall, like sort of like growing up there and stuff, like really positive in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, that might sound weird because I've wrote so much about it and a lot of the things that I've wrote have been so charged, you know. But I am that kind of person. And so – you you know, you could have put me anywhere and I would have had a lot to say. I would have had a lot of feelings about it. Um, so, you know, a lot of that is just who I am and like my level of energy and curiosity and, you know, frustration and whatever else. So I definitely um, have had some weird times where like, you know, I never wanted anyone to think that I was like shitting on where I came from. Mm -hmm. And I definitely also don't want to feel like I like somehow exploited it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But essentially, you know, when you're like, you're setting out to do something creative, you know, you're going to like, you're going to, or I, I guess the best people use who they are and where they come from. in this is like very profound way. So, you know, that's, that's what my idea was. Like, that was definitely an idea I had. I was like, um, okay, like if I'm going to do this band, you know what? I, I think I always question the, the validity of doing things like, okay, why would I do this? Like, what's the point, you know? And then in a lot of ways, and I think this maybe could sound cheap and I don't want it to, but like in music now, like you have to have an angle. Like I don't believe that everything's been done, but we've, we've done a lot since the, <laughs> you know, since the sixties, let's say, um, so much ground has been covered musically so many things have been said, so many styles have been experimented with, so many hybrids of different styles have been mixed together and in certain masterful ways. And, you know, I think the experience of a lot of, you know, my generation and certainly, I guess, you know, maybe gener the generations that are coming up now as well, but probably in a different sense because now, like, um, social media can sort of like make a star out of all of us or something, even if we don't do anything right. Mm. Um, 
but for my generation, you know, I think there's a certain sense of like, what, like, what is there left to do? And, um, you know, for me, like loving that music so much and having a lot of my, a lot of my, um, energy was tied up in sort of like punk music. I just loved it. And so I'd think about it all the time and I, you know, listen to it all the time and I talk about it all the time. And so when I was going to do like a band, I was kind of like, well, what do I have to contribute? You know? And definitely one of the things that really came out of that, um, that questioning I was putting myself through was that, you know, well, this is sort of always seen as it's like, you know, urban, like coastal thing. Um, and, and there's been a rich history of like, you know, punk and hardcore, like in small unknown places in the Midwest too. But I didn't necessarily have like a really good example of someone who had articulated that. So to some extent I was saying, I don't know if anyone's really done this. And so I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to like really put a stamp on this. It says like, you know, not only are we not from like this, like sort of typical environment for this music, we're from the complete opposite and we're going to like wear that on our sleeve instead of like trying to like cop like a different style or sort of like, um, be quiet about the fact that we're like coming from this completely different place. We're going to like come right out and say in a very like obvious way, like this is where we're from and this is the kind of environment that we grew up in. Um, so you know, to some extent it was an angle. It was like, Hey, like people haven't really, um, talked about this kind of thing and this kind of music before. So I think I should do that. Um, my relationship with the town, like, you know, now, like I only live an hour away, first of all. Um, we, so I live in Des Moines, which is, you know, the capital of Iowa and sort of like, you know, and I always sort of have like Des Moines and Iowa City would be like the two sort of cultural capitals of Iowa, I would probably say. Um, so, you know, Des Moines is a little bit more of a city, whereas, you know, Marshalltown is a smaller town. Um, I think it'd be difficult for me to live in Marshalltown now, not to say that like I couldn't do it or it would be horrible, but I, I don't think I, I would make that choice. Um, unless something unforeseen would happen, um, to make me change my mind about that. Um, but you know, we, the band still practices there. My parents live there. Um, you know, John, um, who plays in the band is the only one left who lives there. Um, but he, he does still live there. He owns a home with his wife. And, uh, I, I still have like good friends that I grew up with in the music scene, you know, doing really cool stuff there. Um, like a friend of mine just, uh, bought a restaurant. Um, a couple other friends, um, have taken ownership of older restaurants, uh, that are there. Uh, I have a friend who's opening like, uh, sort of a venue. Um, and I have friends who are starting new bands there. Uh, and so it, it's, it's cool to see that, you know, to see that like, um, people who, 
I was close with growing up who have, who have remained there, like really doing a lot of, a lot of good things for that community. Um, some of our other friends like really worked hard and petitioned for a skate park to be built in the town, which they accomplished. Um, and so, you know, there are things like that, that I see, um, that like definitely give me a lot of hope and like make me really proud. Like when I go there now, it's definitely kind of, I don't know, sometimes it feels a little bit awkward to like, you know, go out at night and like have a beer. I, I just, you get involved in all these like weird conversations with like, you know, someone that you like say graduated high school with who, you know, I don't really feel like I have anything in common with. And they, a lot of people really know about the band because it's sort of like become a notable thing there and so people ask questions about it or like want to know about it um and i i think once again that's that's like going back to the very beginning of our conversation that's a time when i would love more than anything to just like turn that off and just be like who i am like with just deleting ban from my history in a way so i could just talk to people as like you would talk to anyone else without having this thing of like, you're in this band and like, you know, that's what you do. Yeah. And that, that for some reason, yeah. that conversation just never, it never goes that well. It never feels right to me. And, and I don't want to be like, I don't want to be a dick about it. And I don't, I'm not necessarily trying to avoid it, but like, I would love to avoid it. I would love to just not talk about it and have it not be a thing. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't know how to explain that other than that. So like, I definitely have a weird, like, it's weird that I've talked so much about that town and growing up there. And then just to go back there, it's, um, obviously it's not weird for me to talk to people who I know really well and who I'm close with, but when it comes to someone I don't know very well, who knows of the band and we're having a conversation involving that, it always feels kind of awkward for some reason I, I wish I could just avoid that altogether. Um, but it's not, that's not possible. And it's not something that is like, I should complain about really. It's just sort of like, you know, you put yourself out there in this way and that's the choice you make. You know, you've, you've committed to putting those records out and saying those things and, you know, becoming some sort of like, you know, small public figure sort of yeah. and you know so you made that choice and certain good things come along with that and certain things that maybe you're not so fond of come along with that so that's a super long-winded insane <laughs> answer to like a really simple question i think no that's awesome and i appreciate you being honest about it like that i think that's a pretty honest and sober way to look at it um all right i, I just had a couple of points i wanted to make uh, apologies in advance if i'm like sound like I'm being like ultra flattering or something, but, um, I mean, listen, man, you, you, in my eyes, like you're the real deal. Um, if, from, if I freeze frame the time when I was in my late twenties, uh, uh, late teens and early twenties, maybe someone would make fun of me for this, but I don't care. Like to me, like you were like, like the Henry Rollins of, of my time and my involvement at that specific time in my life. Um, I do go to far less shows now just by a product of being older and being like someone that's like working a career type of job. 
Um, but I still do go to shows and and your music still holds up and I'll still listen to it on the way to work and like I still get the feeling as if I was you know 19, 20 years old again. Uh, so first of all, I just want to just say that and thank you uh, for you know putting out music that I think is really good. But there's one thing that came to mind. So this is it's it's trippy doing this and speaking with you. Um, when I'm looking back at this list of shows, there's one show in particular. You guys did like a mini East Coast tour. Um, I didn't, did I write the dates on here? I didn't write the dates on these, so I don't know what New York date came first, but I think it's, and I don't remember this at all, but I have the Polish Hall with With Honor. I don't remember that, but the two in that little bracket that I remember are you played uh, a Wallingford VFW in Connecticut, which was just, you know, yeah. just like a, like a Knights of Columbus type of hall, um, with crime and stereo. And they had like, like, uh, like a local, like mosh metal band. I can't remember who they were called. Um, and then the very I next, th I think when you play long Island, you have to play with like a local mosh metal. Band. <laughs> That's uh, they, they won't let you even book this show until you agree to that. <laughs> I think that's... I'm not trying to put long Island. No. Down, I think that was always our experience in long Island. And, uh, it was all always uh, a little bit predictable in that way and kind of funny. No, I think that's fair. Um, after that Connecticut date, you played in New Jersey. And this is the one I wanted to talk about for a second. Um, you played at the Bloomfield Cafe. I might be remembering this wrong, but I think it was like a place that served pizza maybe. Um, you played with Spanish Bombs, and um, I think that band The Banner played from New Jersey. And I remember just like, um, what if your buddy is like pouring whiskey on your face and it getting your eyes and like crazy stuff like that. Like it was just, it was just fun. You know, you used to come out like even if it's a Monday and say it's Friday night and like, <laughs> I thought that was super cool. Um, yeah. but the thing that I, that sticks out in my mind is, and this is going to be a long winded way of saying this. So I'm going to lead up to it. But, um, I think like a lot of people, I started going to shows and, became involved in a scene and my involvement was very limited. It was really just attending shows. Um, but I, it, it was the thing that I was most comfortable with. Like I found something that I identified with. I loved the sound of the music. Like I felt like I belonged, uh, at a young age, but I still never felt totally comfortable. And really probably when I look back on it, it was more me. Me as an adult now is, is, pretty drastically different than I was, um, as someone who was, you know, kind of coming of age. But I say that to say I was never totally, totally comfortable. I never liked all the bands. Like there were people that would show up to shows on Friday night and they, they knew every word to every band. And I was always like, I, I liked a very particular sound. And when I went to, and not everyone was always friendly. There was like the tough guy thing. Um, some bands, at least in my perception, I could be looking at this wrong, like felt like they were posturing and the wannabe tough guys and things like that. And that was never really me. But when I saw you guys at that show, I did walk up to you after the show. And, um, I said something to the effect of like, Hey, because of Martin Natchett, I went and I bought skin and I read it and I loved it. Like, Hey, like are there other things that you recommend I read? And you were like, Hey, here's my email address. Shoot me an email. And you were still on tour and like, I went home right away again as like someone idolizing the guy on the, on the stage. And you emailed me back within a day with like all these book recommendations. And I thought that was the coolest thing, man. Like 
again, like you're not, you guys aren't like huge rock stars, not on a major label. It's not like these huge arenas and things like that. But people can still, you know, it, it strokes your ego to have people like you and come out and sing your songs and things like that. Um, and so I just like looking back on it again, like I just want to thank you for that moment. Um, I thought that was so cool. And it, I see a parallel between now too, like, you know, I, I'm not someone in, that's really in media. Um, I've been able to interview some really, really cool people on this podcast. Um, but like, here we are, what, four, 13, 14 years later, and like, you're the exact same dude as you were when I was a 19 year old kid, just like asking about books and things like that that you were into. So um, it's not a question, but, but just a thought. And I just wanted to thank you for that time. Yeah, man. Well, um, A, I'm glad that I actually, you know, it, it's funny, like, I do have experiences where people are like, oh, hey, you were really cool to me, but I do have the opposite too, where someone's really? like, yeah, like you were a total asshole to me or whatever, you know, and I, and I, definitely am uh capable of of being like <clears throat> i don't know maybe not necessarily like outright rude just for its own sake but like you know not being as polite as i should have been in different situations or as patient or or whatnot so it's, it's always nice to hear that you know I was, I was nice and that if i said i was going to do something i actually did follow through on it because i'm kind of notorious for signing myself up for like more than I can take on and then, you know, being overwhelmed with like what I've put on my own plate. Mm. Uh, so yeah, like, I guess I'm, I was waiting for you to say like, uh, you gave me your email and then like <laughs> I wrote you an email and you never wrote me back. <laughs> no. Me like a hundred percent is like, yeah, you like had every intention of it, yeah. but it, it never happened. And, uh, so that's really good to hear. Um, cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, as far as, uh, you know, you know, identifying with, with a certain kind of thing, you know, I think that I, I always, like, was looking for, like, that, that most, uh, <laughs> that most genuine person that spoke to you the most, like, whether you're reading or kind of listening to records or going to shows, like, you know, essentially, if you think about it, you know, you're always looking for, Maybe that's not true for everyone, but if you're a certain type of person, you're looking for someone who is communicating some sort of like profound truth and uh, doing it in this like, you know, selfless like way or, you know what I mean? Like, I think I was always looking for that. Hmm. And I, I think without, <clears throat> without saying I was playing a role, like I, I knew what was important to me in terms of like playing in a band like that. Like I knew really? that yeah. I knew that a big That's part cool. of it was like, Hey, don't like, you have to like, you have to be there to like talk to people and like be a, a real part of this. Like you just, you know, like this isn't once again, it's like, it was supposed to not be like this rock and roll entertainment thing. So I, you know, I really, I have that intention, you know, and like, I don't, you know, I think, I think that, you know, that was something that, like that you almost have to, you know, I, there are, there are kind people in the world, you know, who, who it seems like they're just so, um, like, you know, anyone who's just so kind and like patient that it seems like they were born that way and that they don't have to strive to be like that. I do know what you're talking about. 
you know, and like, I don't consider myself one of those people. <laughs> like, um, I, I, I feel like I have to like set intentions of like what, what is good and what is right and what is worthwhile. And then I, I try to like live up to like the standards I'm setting for myself. And I, um, I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but, um, I, so it's nice to hear those things, you know, because yeah. like that was, that's something that's important to me. Um, it was something that's important to me when I go, it's still important to me. If I go see a band and like, I try to talk to somebody, you know, if I really like the set and I get brushed off, like it kind of hurts, you know, it's kind of like, Oh shit. Yeah. And, and intellectually, like I understand like, Oh, well, well, you know, that's fine. That doesn't mean anything negative about that person. And sure. It doesn't mean I shouldn't appreciate their work, but I've always had a desire for that personal connection. You know, like I want to, you know, if like if you did something that moved me right in front of me, like I want to go tell you that. And then I want you to like communicate back to me in a legitimate way. Like that's what I want life to be about. And it seems like in our <clears throat> definitely like, you know, in a like modern American culture, that sort of like civility and like patience and kindness and respect is just, always breaking down especially and like no right one, now <laughs> you know what i mean like no one's making an effort to like be patient and kind and like communicate and like you know ask someone a question and then like respond thoughtfully to it and so that's definitely it's definitely something that i i'm proud of with like the legacy of the band is that we i think you know overall that was sort of almost became part of our reputation is that like you could talk to us or like, they, Oh, with those guys, yeah, those guys are down to earth or like, Oh yeah, they'll play your garage for yeah. 20 bucks. You know, like, like that was kind of, we kind of like put that into the world. And I think a lot of the energy that we got back from people who have really like fueled our band forward and like made it possible for us to still exist are the people that kind of like recognize that effort that we were putting forth in terms of just being like decent human beings. And then like, kind of like gave that back to us in terms of like, Hey, they're playing three hours away. Let's fill up a car and drive there. Or like, Hey, there are new records out. And now like I'm married with children, but I'm still going to buy that record because of like what I know about the, the people that made it. And I think that that's always going to be, you know, perhaps like the most important like legacy of our band is just going to be like kind of what, what we were about. Um, it's hard for me to look at the music and be like, Oh, this is groundbreaking or these lyrics are like, you know, whatever. That's not, once again, like that's not my sort of job or it's not really productive for me to do that, but definitely thinking about what kind of band we wanted to be and what kind of people we wanted to be and how we wanted to communicate and, and represent our art in like a, you know, sort of like honest human to human way, that's, that's always been important, you know, and it, it still is now. And it's like, it's really encouraging to um, run into people, you know, like yourself that have gone on to do these really cool things in their own life that, you know, are somewhat inspired by something that I did at some point in my life. Like, it's really like, it's, you know, definitely definitely seems like it was it was time well spent and the effort was well worth it um and so that's a cool thing uh 
your your podcast is is really cool. I, I think it's like amazing that you can do. I, I listen to your uh, your Bali Indonesia travel, you know, diary essentially, and yeah. I think I think speaking just into a microphone on your own is really difficult for a period of time and just with no like no back and forth or no questions and answers but just like narrating essentially yeah that's, that's a pretty awesome like specific skill and uh, i thought i i haven't listened to all of them but i, I think i probably will now because that one was really good and I, i'm always uh curious about places in the world that i've never been and i've never been there so that was like a, a really cool one and then um i also wanted to mention that i i listened to the uh uh, Frank Scalero, is that right? Yeah, Scalero. yeah, yeah. Oh my God! I mean, yeah, that's insane. Uh, keep interviewing people like that. I know that you can't. There's not just a person like that <laughs> you can just keep interviewing. But yeah. um, I mean that that interview is pretty incredible. Holy shit! Thank you, man. Thank you. <laughs> like that's awesome. Um, if you did like that, I I totally recommend. I had a Holocaust survivor on. Um, she's a little ways down there on the list and a Rwandan genocide survivor. And th those two, like, th I think th honestly, seriously, I think this has been my favorite tonight, but those two like were, I don't know. There was something really special about those two. Uh, and both I, I think, I think they're, and, and this is, you know, it's been done in various forms, but I, I think there's a real need in the world for people common people who don't have any like specific reason to be like interviewed need to be interviewed. Yeah. No, um, I, totally I, that. I've, I don't want to like hijack your concept, but I've like, I've thrown around the idea of like, you know, interviewing, you know, people that I know from my personal life that, you know, don't, aren't, they're not artists and are not musicians, but I think are like fascinating or I know that they have some kind of like fascinating thing that happened to them in their life. And I think that, you know, sometimes when people want to interview me, you know, like I'm like, you know, you contact me a long time ago about this and you know, I was probably kind of like hesitant about it in a way because sometimes I, I don't feel like my life is like that interesting and like the band has been, has been documented pretty heavily in a lot of different ways. Yeah. And I, I enjoy talking to people and I, I don't mind talking about it, you know, especially if someone kind of like really, you know, like yourself, like you really know the band and you know, you've been to shows and you like, you really, we can have a discussion about it. That's, you know, pretty in depth and, and we both kind of know where each other is coming from on that. And so that's enjoyable, of course, but like, you know, when I compare like what I have to say to like, you know, the experience that, that Frank had in Vietnam, it's kind of like, I don't know, <laughs> like I toured around in a band and like wrote some things and like recorded some things. And sometimes it doesn't seem like, Sometimes it doesn't seem as like significant as uh, you know people who live these uh, traumatic lives that they they sort of don't choose. Yeah. Like I've I've chose a lot of what I've gotten into and like how I've sort of like navigated my way and I think it's you know like the the story that that Frank had to tell is so interesting because it it just it was like all like dictated by forces that were larger than him. You know, he just kind of got a draft letter and he just didn't make the decision to fight it. He just went with the flow. He said that he said something about it being his fate. And I think, I think things like that are really fascinating and it, it must feel like your fate when you're in a, uh, 
when you're in a country that is undergoing like a civil war or, you know, genocide, like you're not, you're not navigating your own life. You're not making decisions. You're not, you know, that's not your goal. It's just like, this is happening to me and I will either make my way out of this or I won't. Um, but man, I think, I think those stories are something that like, like should be told. You know, I think that the more, there should be a lot of interest placed in like the lives of common people. And that's sort of like punk lyrics, you know, come down to a lot. I yeah. think. You know, is they're kind of like, Hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, even like back then I used to feel like, you know, I'm not a fucking artist. Yeah, like right. I'm just like a kid who like has like a notebook and like friends who play guitar, you know, it was like really like, you, you're always trying to like pull the rug out from under yourself in terms of thinking that like you are legitimate or you have something important to say or that you're someone that should be a person of interest. And I think that, uh, you know, like definitely like there's always going to be a place for like talking to people in bands, but you know, definitely man, like keep talking to those, those people who just have amazing life experiences who might not be interviewed otherwise if you don't interview them because like they're not known to the world so if you have access to those people man like keep doing that because it's i think it's an important work and it's it's very noble work as well thanks jeff i do want to respond to a couple of those just before i close out like um first of all i wouldn't think that you were uh taking my concept at all i, I think that first of all i'd be fascinated if you had a podcast or, or, or something to the effect where you were interviewing people um I really think we're like with podcasts and, and this type of stuff. And I've, I've seen, um, again, I guess I'm like a creepy person, but I've seen that, that you're a Joey Diaz fan and I love Joey. Um, <laughs> yeah. You listen to the church. Uh, dude, I listened to the church. When I first started this podcast, Lee did my consultation. So I paid him to like help me get the podcast set up. And <laughs> it, oh, no kidding. Those guys are so trippy, but um, yeah, like, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you listen to them because sometimes, you know, I mean, you know, the kind of subject matter that Joey is always going on and on about. And, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of hard to explain to someone like why I am like a regular listener of that. Um, yeah. but there's something about, there's something about his approach to life and like the things that he says that are strangely inspiring to me and that like I, I sort of like take something from like his Monday though, motivations like, and things like I, that. I, I almost, I almost roll my eyes through every episode. I'm just like, Oh my God, here we go again. <laughs> and I don't know why I'm listening to this, but then I like keep coming back to it. Yeah. It's a really funny thing. I totally get that. But like, yeah. So to, just to the point I was making, like, I feel like we're in this revolution of sorts right now. And generally when you're in a revolution, you don't quite realize it, but um, you know, this is a way to get information out to people for free without corporate interests. I would love to have sponsors. I'm like actively trying to find sponsors, but I would never let that like dictate the type of content that I put out. Um, so I think this is really like an important medium. Um, and I agree yeah, with totally. you. I mean, I think it's, it's going to grow, you know, I mean, it's, um, <clears throat> I'm, you know, I'm a pretty big podcast fanatic. Like I listen to, a ton of different podcasts and right. I, especially when I was, when I was working my job, um, that I recently left, you know, I, they were okay with me like having headphones in a lot. So mm. I just listened to insane amounts of interviews and, you know, different forms of podcasts and storytelling. And it's, yeah, I mean, it's, 
it's a pretty legit, like, <clears throat> you know, media communication, like revolution in a lot of ways. It's, I mean, obviously, you know, radio is just, uh, like terrestrial radio is just not a thing. <laughs> it's just not it's, like, it's dying. nothing there basically. Yeah. And I, 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 I think there's <clears throat> a, I've always had a romantic idea about like, you know, cool, like pirate radio and stuff like that. But wow, just like the, uh, the power of like basically podcasts is just, it's incredible to me. It's incredible. I think it's one of the best things we've got going now in our culture. You know, it's a, these conversations with people, um, are, you know, so important and so inspiring and there's just no other way to get them out there. Yeah. And to your point, man, about like the common people, like a hundred percent, I agree. And I've, uh, when I started this, I had kind of like a wish list, like a top five and seriously, like you were in my top two. And it's funny because before I ever even reached out to you, I've got this notebook and I just write down questions. And so I had all those, like, just, just like topic starters for you. And the other one, like, this is one I don't think will ever, <laughs> I don't think this is possible at all. But like my holy grail is Anthony Bourdain. And yeah, almost daily, man, like almost daily, I add to that list of things to talk to him about. I've read his novels. Okay. I've listened to like everything. I watched the show. And again, I'm not crazy enough to think this is going anywhere, but like, after a year of like reaching out to him through like all sorts of social media uh, uh, mediums, I finally at least like got through to his assistant. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yeah, all right, that's like. I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't think that's an impossible dream. I mean, I think that you know, well, and and I guess more to the point, like about your uh, your podcast. You know, I mean, I think that you're you know a good conversationalist, and like, I mean. I guess, you know, I understand the the uh, instinct of saying, well, I'm not crazy enough to think this is going to go anywhere. But, I mean, you know, definitely stranger things have happened. That's you know, true. Like, like the, uh, <clears throat> the fact that, like, I'm talking to somebody about Modern Life is War in the year 2017 is actually pretty insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's not like that band is – it's just not – it wasn't supposed to like work. It wasn't supposed to matter. It wasn't supposed to stick, you know, but I think that, um, you know, I think that if, you know, a lot of it's just work and sort of obsession and stuff, you know, like you, you if you get fixated on it and you want to keep doing it and keep doing it better and, and you want it to be something that is important, you know, and something that matters. I think there's always going to be a, there's always going to be a place in, in our, culture for another like voice or another like outlet for you know like quality communication conversations and it seems like you got a thing going man so like i don't know well, thanks, i'm not man. just trying to like <laughs> no I... weird way to end this podcast but you know it's I, I think it's like it's a pretty cool thing damn dude i really appreciate that um yeah so this has been awesome uh we are at about an hour 45 which is by far the longest i've done and i've loved this I'm sure everyone listening knows where to find the band, but I'll still like, you know, link to the website and everything. But, um, do you want to plug your social media at all? Do you want to plug any friends projects or things like that before we close out? Um, well, I think that probably at this point, like Instagram is the most active, like social media that, you know, like I use personally. Um, 
my Instagram is just JT. Uh, no, it's actually, sorry, I, I changed it. It's Manic Times. Okay. Um, so I'm Manic Times on Instagram. Uh, yeah, so you can look me up there if you want to see, like, you know, what records I'm jamming or you want to see pictures of uh, my cat on a leash <laughs> outside. Uh, so that's mostly what you're going to get uh, okay. from that. <laughs> so that's that's interesting to you. Then by all means, follow me there. And if not, I understand. Uh, but yeah, the band, that you can link the band's, like, social stuff uh we are sometimes good about doing things with it and other times not we've never really made it like our primary focus uh but we do definitely do like put tour dates up and uh you know some live photos occasionally some more interesting stuff than that so you know chicks out there awesome and i'll link to all that stuff uh stay on with me i'm closing out here but just stay on with me so i can get a little bit of info from you before we go um but again thank you so much um, and to everybody listening again, thanks so much for, for tuning in. I really appreciate everyone that listens and, um, as always, you know, take care of each other. Thanks everyone. Foolish!